Well, how many of y'all feel like you have a gift? I know for me, you know, there are things that I feel like that I'm gifted at. But also I think there's things that sometimes I wish I was gifted at that maybe I'm not. Uh, you know, last year for my birthday I had a little money and I went down to Preston's shop and I bought a guitar and um, started playing and strumming a little bit, a little GCD, you know. Um, but as I'm playing those chords and I'm learning some stuff, you know, I, I thought it sounded really good. And, uh, you know, I picked up this one song, uh, Derek Rucker had, has redone it, Wagon Wheel, and I recorded like 30 seconds. I sent it to Preston. I was like, oh, man, this sounds awesome. And then, of course, as Preston gets it and I rewatched the video, it was awful. It was awful. But there are people who are gifted at music, and when they play, it's flawless, right? Where I think about, you know, I, I dabble in art a little bit. Uh, I've always, I had art classes. I drew with pencil when I was a younger kid, and um, you know, I, I've seen stuff by Jackson Pollock, and I thought, you know what, I want to splatter paint on the canvas. And so I've tried that. But I'm going to tell you, you know, he splatters paint, and it is beautiful. I splatter paint, and it all mixes together, and it's just brown or gray, and it's just, there's nothing there. But he's got this gift. Or I think about Hussein Bolt, who the first time I saw him run as he broke away from the rest of the pack and was looking around, and he made it look so easy. That's, those people have gifts. And then there's people like Billy Graham sharing the gospel and Mother Teresa who loved people. They had special gifts. And boy, when you see it in action, you know it's real. Different from my little things that I would like to be good at, but didn't necessarily get that gift from the Lord. And as we jump into here and we talk about what it looks like to have this community of believers, and coming from what Ken talked about last week, it's really interesting what God has shown me this week that I hope I communicate to you this morning. And that's this idea of what Ken touched on last week was, was how do we relate to this cosmic God, this eternal Father. And how we relate to him transforms who we are. And next week, Shane's going to go through the rest of 12 and talk about what it looks like to love those around us. And you hear that all the time, love God and love others. Tell people that, love God, love others. But today we're going to look at this interesting piece that Paul lays out where you really have to understand who you are. I've got to understand who I am or things don't really add up between this incredible God and then being in this community with other folks. Let me just read the, the scripture to you. If you've got your Bibles out or your app, this is Romans 12, 3 through 8. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, who are many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it to his proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve his teaching. Let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give 
generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And so in this section, Paul is going to walk through kind of this this thing that's in the middle that makes all of this fit together and to really work. And he starts to deal with ourselves and how we understand and relate to ourselves. That we've got to look in here, in our minds, which flows to our hearts before we can really do what he wants us to do out here. And as he jumps into this first verse, 12.3, he says some interesting things. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. By the grace given me, I say to every one of you. And this word for, basically what he's doing here, he is a, he's assigning reason. He is pointing to the fact of why he is about to say, to tell or command these other believers, both Jew and Gentile in Rome, what he's about to lay out for them. And so he says, I'm going to say this to you, but the reason I'm saying it is because of the grace that was given to me. And he's making this transition to communicate with them, but I think he's reminding them of a few things here. First, he's reminding them of the gospel of grace that he's just laid out for 11 chapters. He's laid it out for him, and he said, you know, and not only is he laying it out for him, but he's saying, this is the gospel that transformed my life. And this is the gospel that can transform your life. And so he's reminding him that, and he also is saying, you know, the, the conversion that I experienced, When I took in the grace of God, this is from which I now speak to you. And it's this grace that he is using and drawing from as he is going to speak forth the authoritative word of God because he was called as an apostle. You know, Romans 1.1 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Of God, He was set apart from this from the very first day of his conversion through this time. He was set apart to share and to implore and to exhort these folks. And 1.5 also says, through him and for his namesake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So Paul is saying, look, here's the deal. I'm about to speak to you, and this is the reason is because of the incredible grace that God has shown me, his merciful grace that has been bestowed on Paul, that he has earned the right to say what he's about to say. He has earned the right to implore them in this idea of understanding yourself in the larger context of community. And so then he goes on and he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. So he's back into the mind. You know, 12.2 talked about by the renew, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's bringing this back in, that the way we think about ourselves is so important, that we have to have this proper thinking, this right understanding, this view 
of who we are, like I said earlier, in the context of community that we'll see through this passage. That he's not just pulling this out from thin air and going, hey, you've got to know yourself. No, he's saying, you've got to really understand who you are in order to be a part of this community. And you know, here's something I think that the secular world, they always take the truth of God, then they extort it, twist it, and, and use it, and pervert it, and it becomes different. You know, the, the secular world says this. They say, hey, go find yourself. You know, disappear from society or from community and go off somewhere into the mountains and come back in three months and you'll have some special revelation about who you are. That's what the world says. But Paul didn't say that. Paul says, no, you need to think of yourself with sober judgment and not think of yourself too highly. And obviously there was something going on with the believers there. You see back in chapter 11 where he was calling them not to be boastful, the Gentiles. And then later on we'll see in Romans where he talks about the weak and the strong. So there's something going on that he's talking to about folks thinking more highly than they should in the proper context. This idea of thinking more highly of yourself, I mean, obviously it's, it's prideful, self-centeredness. You know, having this attitude of it's, it's all about me. And man, I'm, I must be God's gift to the earth. I mean, look at me and, and the things that I can really do. To be overly proud, to have high thoughts, really just to be arrogant about who you are. I mean, that's what it looks like to have more, to think of yourself more highly than you ought. But he says, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And as I was preparing this and thinking about this, the truth is there's another side to that coin of thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. And it's also thinking about yourself more lowly than you should. Honestly, that's, that's as big a problem today is having a high value of yourself, too high value. It's thinking of yourself with this self-deprecating, oh, I've got nothing to give, I'm nobody, who am I? I've got no gifts, I'm not good at anything, I have nothing to offer. You know, and the truth is, sometimes there's things and there's been, damage has been done, the the reason we think that way. But oftentimes, it's what I would say is kind of false humility. Um, and I've been guilty of this. You're kind of like, oh, I'm not very good at that. You know, I don't, I don't have any value to add to this team or this body or this group of people. Because you're just kind of looking for, you want somebody to pat you on the back. Oh, no, you're really great at that. Now, that and that's not how it's supposed to work. So you don't need to have this inflated view of yourself, but you also don't need to have this deflated view where you think you are worthless and you have nothing to give. But Paul says, think of yourself with sober judgment. And the word here means of sound mind, sane, moderate. And when I say moderate, I, not to say mediocre. Don't think about God is not mediocre. And we'll see in the passages as we keep going. He's anything but mediocre. But moderate. Have a sane assessment of yourself. To not think of yourself way inflated or undervalued as if you have nothing to offer the larger community of believers. But then he goes on, he says, but in accordance with the measure of faith 
God has given you. With the allotment of faith God has given you. And when he's talking about this here, it's really interesting because it's, it's almost a sense of, of a limited portion. But I, that's not the best word. It's more of the portion of faith that God has shared with you. Don't forget where the faith comes from. See, once again, I think sometimes we get all been out of shape and we start thinking it's, it has something to do with us. That puffs us up. Or if we don't realize where that faith comes from, if the faith comes from God, then we shouldn't think of ourselves too lowly either because it's the faith that he has given to us, the faith he has allotted us, the faith that God has shared with you and I. And we have to trust God in that faith that he's given us. We have to believe how he's created us. And that begins to help us live in a place of humility and have a healthy, a sober idea of who we are. And that plays back into the, the original idea of, of how, how do you think about yourself? Well, if you're using the faith that God has given you to judge who you are, then you begin to go, okay, God, I've got to trust you. I've got to truly look at how you designed me and how you made me and go, I'm okay with this. And you begin to learn about yourself. And you begin to go, okay, this is, this is who I am in measure to my faith. And I think that's where community begins to be found. It's found when transformed believers, remember we talked about 12-2, transformed believers respond in humility and trust. Because if we don't have a good assessment of ourselves, then things can begin to break down really quickly. Whether it's pride, coming into a group thinking you've got everything there is to offer, or whether it's this low idea of who you are and not trusting God in the abilities, the gifts that he's given you. Both of those things, whether you have this high value of self, or it's low, both of those things can be really detrimental to the body. Whether it's pride or whether it's this kind of needy, I'm no good. But when you have this healthy understanding of this is exactly who I am, this is how God made me, things start to work together. And that's when real community begins to operate. And as he keeps going, he brings in this analogy of the body. He says, just as, us, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. It's very interesting because he's talking about the human body here. And that word member literally means organs or limbs. The parts of our body. And, and I love when, you, when you're looking at the Greek, it, it literally says they, not that it doesn't focus on the fact they're different, it focus, focuses more on the fact that they're functioning together. Different, yes, but functioning so the focus that I want to look at is the fact that we are functioning as a body. And when the body is working, it is functioning together. The hand doesn't go, oh, gosh, I wish I was a toe. Or the toe's like, I'd rather be a bone. Bone, uh, muscles are cooler. No, that's not how the body, the body, yes, is different. All the parts are different, but it is functioning as a whole. And I love how he brings this in because the truth is, once again, what does the world do? We pervert everything. 
We take the truth of God and we pervert everything. It's the same word, member. I mean, what do you think about? Membership? That was the first thing that came to You know, we have membership. We are members. We belong to something. I thought about 10 Fitness. I belong to 10 Fitness. The truth is, for about five years, I never went. So I, I don't know how belonging that is. You know, I kind of just paid them. To, for, I guess, you know, they like that. Somebody who pays never shows up. Uh, but you might be a member of a country club. Maybe you go some, maybe you never go. But, you know, that, that idea of member, I mean, belonging, uh, it, it's a pretty weak idea, once again, that we belong to something. I didn't really belong to Ten Fitness. Now, you can, go, you can go further with that idea and think about sports teams or a, a, an orchestra, and you're a part of that, and you have a function, and you're kind of there. But the truth is, in our world, we can opt out. Hey, I'm not making enough money. I don't want to play. So it still breaks down. But Paul uses this idea of a body because it works so well. Because of the fact that once you're a piece of the body, my body is working together. It's functioning. And my hand can't opt out and choose to not be a part today, but get back in tomorrow. That's not how it works. It's either functioning or it's not functioning. And then he goes on and he says, In Christ we who are many form one body. So here's the deal. Here's the truth of what goes on. When we respond to the gospel of grace, we become a part of the body of Christ. It's not a a choice like, hey, I'm going to respond to the gospel, but I don't want to be a part of the body of Christ. No, once you respond to the gospel, you are now grafted into the body. You are a part of it. Always, eternally, you're a part of the body. Literally, it says the many one flesh body exists in Christ. The many one flesh exists in Christ. Like I was talking about earlier, the hand can't opt out for a day. The eye can't go, I'm I'm not into it, I'm out. No, the body is functioning, yes, different, but all parts are functioning. And we, because of our belief and our trust in the gospel, our response to Jesus, we are a part of the body of Christ. And Paul talks about this in in Corinthians and Ephesians some other places. But it's amazing how he uses this analogy because I think it's, it's such a great analogy. And as he goes on, he says, and each member belongs to all the others. Each one belongs to all the others. As I've been talking about, you can't function apart from the others. It just doesn't work. That's not how things in the body work. And the truth is, if one part is injured and is not at full capacity, what happens? The rest of the body kind of overcompensates, doesn't it? They come around and they kind of overcompensate while that part is mending or being healed to get back to full capacity. They know that that part of the body is not at full capacity. And everything starts to take over and allow that part to heal whatever it is until it's back to full capacity. That's what the body does. They care. They have care. They have concern for the part that is broken. You know, I hurt my wrist recently uh, doing something at Ten Fitness. Um, 
with a dumbbell or something. But it, it, it's been bothering me. I was talking to Michael Payton. He's like, you need to lay off and not use that wrist. And, um, but yesterday, I've got these limbs that were up scraping the, tearing up my shingles. And I've got one of those long 14-foot pole saws. So I'm up on the ladder about 12 feet. And I'm fully extended, six feet. And then I'm, you know, I've got this 14-foot. I don't, you know, I'm reaching way up there. But I can't use, my left hand hurts when it gets in certain positions. My wrist hurts. Well, you don't think about that. It's, it's a wrist, right? What does it do? It connects the hand and the arm. Big deal. It's just a wrist. But you realize how big a deal a body part is when it's not functioning. Man, when I, I'm trying to pulse all a limb with one arm, that's useless. I needed this other hand, but it was hurting, and I couldn't type in. It hurts my wrist when I type. I mean, come on, it's just a wrist. But they all have purpose. They all have meaning, and it all works together. But in the body, when one part is hurt, the truth is when one part is broken, we need to, just like the human body as a body, come around and give that part opportunities to heal. Give that part a chance to be mended, to be back to full capacity so that we can continue to be the body, as we'll continue to talk about as we look at these gifts a little more. But I really feel like community flourishes when transformed believers connect themselves relationally to others. And here's the kicker. This also goes back to the idea of who we are, how we have a sober assessment of who we are in relationship to the overall body. We're believers, so we're apart. We're functioning together. But we're not looking and going, I wish I was that. I want to be that. No, that's better. This is worse. No, all these parts are moving and working together. And that's how it's designed to be. And when we connect ourselves relationally to one another, things begin to flourish. Because if we're not connected, if we're disconnected, if some of us are broken and unable to heal, we're not serving one another, we're not locked in because we don't want to commit to anything, then things are going to begin to break apart and break down. But when we relationally connect and say, you know what, I'm a part of this. Not only did I opt in, I'm committed, and I'm going to be a part of who God has called me to be, then things begin to really flourish. Paul goes on in this last section. He starts talking about the, the gifts, the spiritual gifts. And the truth is, I would have said years ago, this is what this is all about. It's all about the spiritual gifts. But I really don't think it is. Because there's other lists of gifts. This is not an exhaustive list. There's lots of, lots of gifts that you can have that contribute to the whole. But he goes on, he says, we have different gifts according to the grace of given us. One of the commentators uses this word, miraculous faculty. Ooh, doesn't that sound good? Miraculous faculty. These aren't gifts that we have, kind of what I was speaking about earlier. These are gifts that are given by God. They are grace gifts. They are his gifts given to us through his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and there's freedom and there's joy when we use those. And similar to what I was talking about earlier, when you see somebody that's flowing with a natural ability or gift, boy, isn't it incredible? When you watch something that is doing exactly what it was designed to do, and that's what happens when we glorify God through using our grace gifts, through these miraculous faculties that only come from him. And we have diversity in these gifts. I believe you can have more than one. You know, don't, don't read this list and try to find, oh, this is what I am. I'm only, only going to do this. No. I think God gives you lots of opportunities to discover who you are in him and how you've been gifted to serve not just our body, but the larger body of Christ. It's in an exhaustive list. And they're not just man-made skills, but they are developed as you get involved and you begin to serve and God begins to show up. And the truth is, we may use a lot of these. There's times that you may teach in a small group or in an equipping class. There's times that you may be serving behind the scenes doing something. There's lots of ways that you can use the gifts that God has given you. When you're gifted and you're using that and it's meeting up with where the world needs you, it's a beautiful thing. Are we allowing the grace of God to empower us to use our gifts? I think that's one of the questions. Are we really allowing the grace gifts that have only come from the Lord to be used for the betterment of everyone sitting around you and those that were here first service and those who aren't able to be here today and the people around the world, our local partners that we work with, our mission partners around the world. Are we allowing that empowerment to take place? You know, it says there's a whole list of gifts and we'll look at these for a little bit. Like I said, I don't think this is the whole point of this message, of this section. I think it has a lot more with knowing and understanding yourself according to the faith God has given you and knowing and understanding yourself according to where he has fit you into the body and finally knowing and understanding yourself based on the gifts, the grace gifts that he's given you. Let's just look at some of these. It says, if, if a man's gift of prophesying, let him use it to the proportion of his faith. It's interesting that he uses that one with, with this first one. And this is basically foretelling of God's truth. So you're bringing forth truth about God. You know, that, a lot of times we hear prophesying and it's, it gets willy-nilly. We don't have to think that way. No, it's just foretelling of God's truth. And when he says, use it in according to proportion of his faith, really what he's saying is to not over Communicate exactly what the truth is God's wanting you to tell someone. And that can be done in a discipling relationship. It can be done in a larger context. There's lots of ways you can bring forth truth for another. But use it in proportion to your faith. Don't, over, don't embellish more than, than what you need to. But share the truth of what God is wanting you to say. And then he goes on, he says, If it's serving, let him serve. This idea of uh, the Greek word waiting on tables or actually giving aid is another way they talk about it. 
You know, is that your gift? A lot of us think about serving, you know, being the kind of, the, oh, the lowly servant. But I think it was Jesus. Jesus came to serve everyone around him. That's how he came as a servant. He was a servant leader. So is that your gift? There's so many ways to serve, both in the church, local community, worldwide. There are just so many things that you can do. And you won't know if that's your gift unless you get involved and you begin to allow God to develop these things in you. Is it teaching? In a large context, in a small group context, in a kid's class, local group in town, an art class, a writing class, I don't know what it is. But the one thing that talks about teaching was you better share the truth, you better take the time to prepare, and more than anything, you better live it. If you're going to try to teach somebody, you better be living what you're doing. You know, that falls heavily on us up here. When we're up here sharing truth with you, if we're not living it out, first I hope somebody would call us out on that. But you've got to live out the truth that you're going to share with someone else as you teach them. If it's encouragement, let him encourage. Another word for that is exhortation. It's almost this idea of, of lifting up or caring for or counseling. Where one word was to come alongside. Oh, I like that. To come alongside someone for the sake of the larger body of Christ. And what an incredible gift. And hopefully you'd never have that gift and go, oh, but I want that other one. But the ability to come alongside people and love them for the sake of the gospel. Or is it contributing to the needs of others? Let him give generously. And this is not just money. You know, a lot of times we think, oh, giving, you got to be rich, you got to get a lot of money. No, this, this is not just money. There's lots of things and ways that you can contribute to the needs of another person. But the one thing it talked about was, but you need to do it with purpose and pure motives. Do you give to get a pat on the back to feel good about yourself or because you feel guilty? Or do you give because you see a need and you want to meet that need? And you do it with pure motives. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. This is the idea of standing before someone and bringing them into action without manipulation. Are you pushing forward your agenda? Or are you really leading someone to the foot of the cross? And are you leading in a way that a larger body can function together? And then this last one, it says, if showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This idea of compassion. Or showing mercy to another. You know, do we do that, once again, out of guilt, out of obligation? Or do you see someone out that's hurting and do you stop because you literally just want to do it because you know they're in need and you do it with cheerfulness and a cheerful heart? You know, again, I, I, I don't think it was about these different gifts, but here's some examples of these that I hope you begin to go, man, maybe, maybe I'm some of those things. Maybe I'm some of the things in Corinthians or Ephesians. Or maybe I have a gift of doing something that's so unique, but it brings glory to God and it moves the gospel forward. And the only way to know is to begin using the gifts that you think you have.
in the context of community. Here's the message version. I really like this. It says, if you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with a disadvantage, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them, but keep a smile on your face. I really believe community functions best when transformed believers use their diverse gifts for unity. Look, we're all different. We all have these different gifts. Some of you probably know really well, and maybe you know yourself really well, and you go, you know, this is, this is where I'm gifted. This is how God has created me. This is how he's made me. For some of us, maybe we struggle. We go, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing for the larger body of Christ. But when transformed believers are using their gifts, things begin to work together. That's when the body is functioning as it should. That's when we're coming together as a body of Christ and truly changing the way things work in our world. How incredible is it that we get to be the vessels that dispense God's grace? That's what it is when you use your grace gift, that you are dispensing the grace of God for the sake of someone else. Here's what Henry Nouwen says. Community is where humility and glory touch. Boy, isn't that good? Where humility and glory touch. However, community is, first of all, a quality of the heart. It grows from the spiritual knowledge that we are alive not for ourselves, but for one another. Mm, That's rich. That is rich. My last point. Understand the depths of who you are and trust how God has designed you so you can give yourself wholly to the community of believers. You know, Ken talked about giving yourself wholly to God. And I think as we have explored this morning, if we want to give ourselves wholly to those around us, we really have to understand our depths of who we are. And we've got to lock in with how God has designed us and how he has made us and how he's gifted us so we can begin to make a difference with those around us. And I think we really can begin to influence the culture when that happens. Because the truth is, if we're dysfunctional as a church body, as a community of believers, Big C Church, if we're dysfunctional, there's going to be people hurt. There's going to be people that get offended, that aren't able to heal, that are broken, that don't have a place to come in and be loved and be cared for without judgment. But if we want to really make a difference in our world, the body of Christ, we've got to be operating like we should. You know, I have friends who who go, "Ah, I don't really want to be a part of that. Why would I want to be a part of that? Because they see how we treat one another. Next week, Shane's going to talk about love. But if we truly 
understand ourselves, that we truly operate within our giftedness. And we begin to function like a body. And I really believe we can begin to influence a culture that is running full speed away from the reality of who God is and the incredible grace of the gospel that he wants to give them. Here's some next steps. Learn more about yourself by. I left a blank. You know, maybe he's reading a book. Maybe it's sitting with somebody who knows you really well. I sit with Matt Spicer, who counsels out of our church every week. He helps me frame things and understand stuff about myself. You know, because here's the deal. In the context of community, you're going to know your gifts or you're going to be shown what your gifts aren't. That happens really easily in the context of community. That's why we don't do this in a vacuum. But learn more about yourself through study, through reading, through sitting with other people, exploring your gifts, which only takes place when you get involved and you start to serve and you start to engage in the community. Then God begins to teach you about yourself and about who you are. And secondly, make the necessary adjustments in your lifestyle to engage in community. Mm, That might hurt a little bit. But I think we need to take some time with yourself, with your spouse, your family, I don't know. But you need to take some time to go, what is it in our lives? What are we doing that is ripping us away from community? Or how do we fit these things together and not choose one thing over another? I think it's so important that we figure that out. Because coming off of a year like we've, or a year and a half that we've been experiencing, people are dying for community and not just relationships for the sake of having friends. People are dying for community where they can be healed and they can give and serve and grow together. A community that will go out and that will change the world. People are dying for that. But if we're not all playing our part, it's hard for that community to really work together. Well, I hope there is something this morning that has really stood out to you about how we can take this incredible God and work with ourselves and really understand the depths of who we are so that we can really lean in with those around us.